This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, Zero, it's a spotlight interview. We got Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3's VFX artist, and I'm joined today by Jamie Jarak. Hello, a dual interview with Aaron and Jamie. Let's go. We a petition. Go ahead and tweet at Brandon Davis to make this a regular thing where me and Jamie take <laughs> controls. We've only done this one time. It's when both BD and Jenna fell victim to the black goop, but <laughs> they are fine. They're at home. They're chilling. But we got a special interview for you today on the Spotlight episode. We got the VFX artist behind Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. We've got uh, Steph Soretti, uh, Alexi Washbrett, uh, we got Guy Williams and Theo Bialik here to talk about their wondrous hand in the probably the most well-received Marvel movie of this year. Um, also pulling at the heartstrings. Jamie, what, what is something we learned? What, what did you love that we're about to learn from these guys? Oh, the audience is about to hear some really interesting stuff, but I was most excited to hear about the creation of the no sleep till Brooklyn scene. Uh, they, It's clear that a lot went into that. A lot of time went into that. And that was really fun to hear about. Um, I am staggered by how many people work on this thing. All of these guys come together and Steph is kind of the quarterback scrum leader of it. And it is a, an effort of a thousand people on this Literally. project. Literally a Literally. thousand people. <laughs> And also that heartbreaking scene with Rocket and Lila and 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 two teeths. Oh, it's that if you if you feel bad about our animal friends, there are some fun parts in that. And that is a sentence that I did not think we'd get into. (laughs) No, I think so. I'm excited (laughs) for everybody to listen to this one. I am excited for everybody to hear this one, too. So we'll jump right into it. Here you go, guys. Welcome to phase zero. Uh, I feel like there's six of us in an interview. We could be our own space crew. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We will just uh, get it started. Um, There's so much that goes into VFX. So just for our listeners helping us out a little, can you explain how closely you all work together? Uh, Did you each have a speciality when working on this project? I'm going to start because I'm, I'm, I'm Steph uh, Seretti. I'm, uh, I'm the visual effects supervisor for the film at Marvel. So I'm, I'm kind of working on the production side with James more closely with James. But, uh, you know, we, we all obviously work together with all these guys, um, uh, and some other ones that are not here, but there's, uh, there's a lot of people involved in this. Um, so I, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of the, I just said the, the air traffic controller of the film. <laughs> uh, so, and I've worked with, you know, most of these people uh, before, you know, on other shows and they, they also have worked with James uh, for some of them before. So it, it, or them or their company or, and worked on Guardians films before, by the way. So um, we all kind of get together and we, we do work. I mean, we work all the time together. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm uh, having daily meetings with most of these guys during post-production. Uh, so um but they all have a speci- specialty, uh, like uh, um, 
Alexi from Framestore, they were mostly in charge of all the scenes with Rocket in the cages and the flashbacks. Um, Guy and his team, they were mostly in charge of uh, the big counter-Earth, um, the Arete spaceship, the red spaceship, and all the final battle, um, some of the, the battle in nowhere as well at the end of the film, the Warner, the big Warner sequence, um, things like that. So big, big, massive sequences. And Theo uh, from uh, Sony Imageworks was in charge of everything in the Orgoscope and some of the stuff on in counter-Earth as well. Um, so it's, it's, we divide the work like that and I'm, I'm kind of like driving it from the mothership. Uh, if you, if that's a good analogy. Yeah. I, I like this whole like roadmap of everybody's things. This is very interesting for our viewers because they always wonder who did this part. And now you have faces to put to names. Um, but for Steph, you've worked here for like a long time. You were with them for Captain America, the first Avenger. And what are the biggest cha changes you've seen from Marvel Studios from a VFX standpoint over the last like 12 years? Uh, it's been an evolution. Uh, it's been a big evolution, actually. I mean, it, it's always been, to be honest, it's always been really good. It's a, it's a, been a great environment for visual effects. I mean, obviously, these people know that they can't tell their stories without us. <laughs> so, uh, so it's, it's been, we've been building a great team over there, you know, um, mostly about process and how we do things and how we kind of standardize how we, we capture stuff on a set and all that stuff. And we've, we've been able to create all these kind of like processes on set where people understand all the crew understands how we, how we work and what can be done, what can't be done. We we're very included in the process of the production, uh, which actually gives a better result in the end because we're, we're very, uh, we're part of the team, you know, it's not like, oh, the visual effects people, these nerdy people on the side, you know, we're, we're really, we're really very much involved in the process and, and all the, the visual effects uh, studios, the vendors we worked with, they've worked with us for a long time. Some of them from the very beginning. Um, like when I did the first Guardians, um, Alexi wasn't working on it at the time, but Framestore, uh, the, the VFX studio he works for, um, was they they created Rocket on the first film as a digital asset. So so these people have been with us for a long time and we've really all evolved together. And especially in terms of like sharing assets and characters and sets and all that stuff, we're, we're now much more fluid in terms of how we work together, you know, uh, and, and that's my job to make sure everybody has the right information and the right assets and the right uh the right access to the director and information from the editors and everything to to get the movie done. I, you guys can. It's I've talked too much already. You guys can. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll lead the way. We'll help for somebody else. I know that you all worked on multiple uh, Marvel projects, and a guy you you worked on the Avengers. So many things. Uh, for for anyone else who wants to chime in, working with the various directors, how does James Gunn differ? Uh, the one thing I would say real quick about, you know, to, to embellish on the, the previous question is that um, as big as visual effects is, the industry itself is relatively small. They, you know, there's a lot of us that know each other. Um, uh, people move from company. It's not like there's thousands of companies and we we go off and you never hear from the person again. You know, there they're a very small number of companies in the industry. So, you know, we all kind of know each other through, uh, you know, just meeting each other at parties even. But uh, so the community itself is actually pretty tight knit. And it, that, that makes it really fun to be a part of. Um, how How is it working with James Gunn? I mean, this is going to be one for Steph also. It's he, <laughs> he's, he's fantastic. I mean, the fact that 
you know, he he he's not just the director. He's also the writer of a lot of these these scripts. You know, he, he just watching his vision go from start to finish so that there's a sense of purity to it. You know, it's 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 not like it's, you know, this this sort of ensemble cast. I mean, he it's his vision from the start to the finish and all the little beats in between. He's he's really helping curate and direct. And it just, you know, that that leads to a fantastic result. But but on top of that, it also he's you know he's kind of crazy in an awesome way. <laughs> so you get this just beautiful result that, that being a person that gets to work on this stuff, it is so fun. It is, it is the kind of thing that it's, you know, and I'm, I, 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 you know, the other guys should chime in on this one, but it's really easy to cast these shows with crew at the, at the company because they all just love what he does. I, I, just to add to that. I mean, the, 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 the beauty of James is that his process is actually extremely linear in a way, which is very good for, for VFX because he writes the script, he does the storyboard, he draws themselves, you know, he, he draws all the story himself. And we, you know, we, we previous with him and then we shoot, we shoot what we, what he wrote and then he edits it the way it was supposed to be edited from the beginning. There's, you know, there's changes, there's refinement, there's stuff, but most of all of, of the process is actually really linear. Sometimes it's extremely chaotic on these films because they're hard movies. They're very difficult movies. Sometimes it's hard to find the story. Sometimes it's hard to find the characters. And sometimes it's not completely written on the page. And there's like some gray areas. With James, there's not many gray areas. It's all pretty much in his head from the get-go, especially when you're at the third movie. It's the conclusion. He's been writing it for years. We're supposed to do it in 2018. And then, you know, it moved a little bit later. And so we have had time to think about it. And um, so it's it's very linear and it's great for us because it gives us the time to actually make things look better. You know, we always talk about what you get with the little time you give us, you're not going to get as good as what you would get if you gave us more time. I mean, it's like that for everything in life, but because it's a very good process and very linear and, and James is a very shrewd director is very good at what he does. You get there uh, and you can refine and refine. It's always like you always make the sculpture better. You don't break it and rebuild it and glue it back together. You just refine it all the time, and that's that's the good thing about that. No, for, for us uh, at Framestore, we we worked on this uh, on this uh, flashback sequence of Rocket backstory, and uh, James and uh, and James Gunn and Stephen Serretti shot this the first two days of the shoot. They shot all these flashback sequences together into a mock-up stage. And they gave us an edit very soon after that while they were obviously still shooting. And we looked at this edit and it was incredibly good. Like we were the whole team at Framestar was watching it together. All Most of them were crying by the end. It was already so emotional and it was just people on a gray suit into a mock-up stage. And it was so good already. And I think this is a lot thanks to James Gunn knowing exactly what he wanted for that movie, what story he wanted to to tell, the camera, the actor direction, everything, which like Steph and Guy said, I think for us, he made the process so good. Well, first you get a massive boost of motivation from the whole team because you know you are working on something special, something that is really good. So that's already amazing. We've all worked on movies that are less good. And so I think this is already something special, but also you have time because you know the sequence is not going to change massively. It's just going to improve and improve and improve and improve, which is which is great because you you have time to to make better pictures. So, and I think that's why the visual effects on on Garden Street are 
are so convincing, it's because it was directed by a director that knew what he wanted from, from day one. So if he knew what he wanted from day one, and we all know that we're going to get our hearts ripped out from literally the first day of filming, which is in, I can't imagine coming to work the next day. Like, well, I mean, everything's bad. I mean, all our cute friends, Tusk and Lila, everybody's gone. Um, when you're crafting those sort of characters, these mocap characters or anything, do you take more, and this is for Alexis, like, do you take more inspiration from like the natural animals as they would be? Or do we get real Sid from Toy Story with it from the beginning? I, I think it's really a mixture. And I think that's that's why it's a, it's a complex and challenging, but also really interesting to work on these characters. It's it's a mixture. So it's always start with some concepts that are, are done by uh, Marvel, by the studio, their art department, production designer, James Gunn, all of them involved in some sketches. And we start from there. Of course, the sketches, if you were to full, just translate them into an asset, they would look very cartoonish because they are just sketches at that point. So we take what, what the, the essence of the sketch, what, what is it that he wanted to say? And then we looked at a lot and a lot of references of real animal, real author, real walrus, real rabbit. And we try to mix that together. And then on top of that, you have the actor that played the real performance. And you are also wondering, what do you take from the actor? Is it the sweetness in the eye? Is it, is it just the body performance? Is it the facial performance? And you, and then during the, the animation, you you always try to take the performance of the actor, but as well as the performance of what what would an animal do if he was doing that performance and try to combine. So it's always a, a balancing act about all of these different components that you have and trying to make the best possible character, the best possible uh, performance. And at, at the end, the only thing that matters is does does it give emotion to the audience? And and I think that's that's all what Steph, James Gunn, myself were focused on this on this little sequences. When you watch it, do you get the emotion from from it, basically? And and, and I want to add to that. I mean, the the work of the actors of the first two days was amazing. Like the the cast, which is the real cast. We had the real actors there. We did two days of what I call film theater in a virtual environment where we we actually film with the cameras. We motion captured the cameras. But just just so, so like I, I I make things very clear. We don't do mocap on the actors, on the characters. They are all hand animated. So even though they're in a mocap suit because we wanted to triangulate where they were in space, we don't capture the motion on the actor. We replicate from the reference of the actors. So it's all done by animators that look at the performance, look at the eyes blinking, how they blink at what time and replicate that. They look at every single, because you can't, you can't mocap a face and transform it into an otter. That just doesn't happen. It's just ridiculous. Like everybody that tells you that can happen is on crack. So you want to, you, you, it, it is all, it's all animators, super good, you know, amazing animators that spend a lot of time listening to the actors, looking at their performance and transforming it and transposing it to the face of an animal. And it's, it's an art form, you know, it's not a technical aspect, a technical thing. It is a lot of artists really working really hard and understanding the, the essence of the characters and the essence of the performance from the actors. We'd be nothing without the actors. We'd still be trying to figure out what the scene was. 
So it's just that that's how we proceeded in that thing is like the actors is the foundation of the characters. And then there's all that artistry of translating it into the bodies of these these characters. Cool. Uh, talking about the characters, but then we also have these vast spaces and yes. in the cosmic side of of Marvel, I'd imagine a lot goes into that all these locations um what what are those challenges uh for for when you're creating those literal space places guy or theo because you both had to do with that so whoever wants to go first yeah theo sure um it's uh it's it's challenging because you know when you when you're we've got an entirely cg environment um so which sometimes you do how do you how do you film it how do you light it in a, in a way, you know, because you're often constrained on, on a practical level in the set, like you can't put your lights as far away as they would be. Um, so you take a lot of shortcuts um, and and you you look at a lot of reference, practical reference that you can that's relevant to it. Um, but, you know, ultimately it's it's an artistic process where, you you know, you're you're referencing concept art, beautiful concept artwork. Because I, we worked on uh, the orgoscope, so this is organic environment um, space station. Um, so you're, you're referencing the artwork. You're looking at medical, you know, journals and videos of like surgeries to try to get ideas of what um, organic uh, material looks like. But you know, translating that into an environment that's different, that's much much larger in scale, is um, it's a little bit trial and error. But you're, you know, you you're, you're basing off of anything realistic you can, you know, that you can find. Um, and it, it requires an enormous amount of effort from from the team, all the way from modelers, texture painters, uh, all the way down to the compositors. Can, can I ask a follow up on that, too? Because we were, we were joking before this, like when you first enter the like the orgoscope and like it's all like very, very on the outside, very fleshy. But the inside is like literally like retail fourth circle of a pair of like, you know, like the bad place. So which one of you had a bad experience in an iPods or an iPhone store to influence all this white expanse that we had to sit in? <laughs> yeah, that, that, so that, that we was... should ask Beth Mickle, right? Because she's the production designer. She came out with that. It was the idea it was all made of bones, right? But that, that was a challenging, a challenging environment because it's so white, you know. So you don't you don't have you don't know where to go, right, uh, Theo? Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, if, in the follow up to your, your first question about what it's like to work with James, um, you know, I've worked on many other films where, you know, when you get to the third act or something, the story changes dramatically. And as an artist, it can be rewarding because it's like, oh, wow, we get to have a lot of input and the decisions we make are, show up directly in the screen because it wasn't necessarily written on the page. But in James films, like Steph said, it's very linear, it's planned out. Um, but that gives you the time you need to sort of really hone the craft and, and get it to the level that you're really pleased with. But like to give an example, the only thing we really ended up changing in that environment from the from the original design was just that it was a little too busy in the original design because in motion and still frames it works, but in motion with with a background that's so complex. Um, even with a lot of weight, uh, it became hard to track the characters and follow the story. So the biggest change we ended up doing was just removing a piece of the set, you know, and that was that was the big change for us on this film, which is very minor. Um, but yeah, it was it was it was a challenge. It was it, it made was a huge hard. difference, though. Yeah, it did. A huge, it's a huge difference. Yeah, it visually just completely changed the space. That was interesting. 
I want to bring up my favorite moment of the movie, which is the no sleep till Brooklyn fight scene. Uh, it's just so cool. But I, I can't imagine how much goes into that when there's action with real people are there. But, you know, CG is going on. How does something like that come together? Uh, we just we we knocked that out in a couple of days. Steph just shot a couple of plates and we just uh, painted out some <laughs> wires for the most part. Um, <clears throat> now, the, the unsung hero there is uh you know the stunt team you know the 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 work that the stunt team did with you know the production team the visual effects team on Steph's side just all the work that they did to figure out the bones of that structure in the first place the the the, the choreography of the motion through that scene but um once we get past that point and you know Steph I'd love to hear you talk about this the how you even organize how you're going to break this one giant two and a half minute long piece down into the 18 pieces that you cut it into uh, well it was really I mean Wayne Daglish was kind of designing the the stunt choreography for this sequence. Um, he had actually worked with James before on uh, the Peacemaker, and uh, he, James had that idea of doing a one or even in the first film. We had we had one scene, but we couldn't get it done in time on the first film. It was not it was not the right. We were figuring out so many other things that that was not the right <laughs> the right time to do this. But this time coming back on the third film was like, yeah, I'm gonna do that one, and it's gonna be. <laughs> epic uh and it's gonna be with that song and and Wayne was just like they did they have a a little tight group of people uh, stunt people that really do these stunt viz uh we call that stunt viz and they they mapped out the entire thing and every time I was going there and there was a new version I was like oh my god <laughs> how are we gonna do this and then he was like yeah so we can pull that person there but then it, you know the camera's gonna turn around but we cannot pull it pull that person with another we have to reinstall a different rig to do that stunt so we're gonna have to you know kind of blend these two together and james kept reassuring me that he wouldn't be it would be okay you know uh <laughs> and so we went in we just started shooting it you know bit by bit trying to figure out because there's a lot of cg characters as well in that very tight corridor and the camera keeps moving all the time so it has so I was telling the the camera crew, you you can't be there, but you can be there. And then the the stunt, like you you're holding someone, you're gonna throw it against the wall. But it was just super complicated. It took three days to three, almost three or four days to shoot this. I was exhausted at the end, uh, just trying to mentally always kind of uh, figure out what was going on where. Um, but it went great. I mean, it went pretty as good as it can be when it's total chaos. Basically, it's really mapped out, really well mapped out, but it still results in something that is very chaotic, but that we need to make sense of. And that's where the guy and his team, you know, working with Wayne, I, I had Wayne coming to talk to them as well in post and with the editor. And we, we all kind of burned together and, and worked on, OK, what can we do here? And then Guy and his team and, and Mike Cousins, his, his animation supervisor, was amazing. Um they started jumping at it. You know, it's a huge sequence. Two minutes. They took. It took took us a year to get it done. And they were these guys had like weekly or biweekly meetings with James and me, and we were going through every beat at a time and trying to iron out the timing and everything. It was just a huge, a huge undertaking that they did amazingly well. To to embellish upon that a little bit, the one thing that a lot of people, you know, it, it's. You know, being a nerd who grew up in Mississippi and loved watching films and then getting the chance to fly to L.A. and work in films for, you know, uh, since, you know, before film even started, I guess I, I, I started <laughs> when it was all cranked by hand in black and white. But, you know, it, 
the first thing you realize when you start working in the film industry is what you think is amazing is the result of so many people working incredibly hard. There's, there's, you know, Steph makes light of it, but there's, there's so many meetings that he would have, you know, to talk to people to try to figure out how you're going to do this. And then it comes to us. And like Steph says, James's first comment is don't worry. It works. If, if the cuts are obvious, I don't mind so much. And then you yeah, know, we right. look at each other. That and didn't we go, last long. That's <laughs> never going to fly. We're going to have no. to make these cuts really tight. You know, and it, it just, it, you know, <clears throat> It, it seems like there's a, an obvious answer to it, but the the actual reality of it is there are hundreds of people just on that one shot. There, you know, from the art team to the the production design team to the set build team, and then on our side, all the 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 animators, the lighters, the compers, the asset people. You know, uh, a lot of our stitches were done very obviously in plain sight, where you see a character's face. Um, and we we you know we're not going to be able to make that stitch work. So there's a lot of times where you think it's the actor, but it's actually a digital double replace the actor just so that we can make sure the action works. But even when we do that kind of stuff, we're basing it exactly off the actor. But it's there's so many people that come into this process that have to work so hard to pull all this stuff together that that you know that's where the magic really happens. And that's something I, I had done, you know, not to that degree, but uh, to that kind of level of complication on the first Doctor Strange, where I, I I had some scenes where I kept changing technique between people on wire being upside down, then digital double in the next shot, then you know starting with uh, an element of of uh, Benedict with his face, and then the shot keeps going and we fall into that mirror dimension, and then it's digital, then it's back to another element. So it's that idea of and uh, here we have nowhere to hide obviously but it's that idea of constantly kind of like okay here we're gonna have the actor but then we're gonna at that point it's gonna transform into a digi-double so that that stitch can work and then it can get thrown away and then you see the actor in the in the back of it and now it's the actor so there's all these kind of like mixes of techniques that come into play so that and i like doing that because what happens then is that you you keep changing the things and no one can ever tell what is real and what is not and that's when we succeed. Obviously, when it's bad, you can see it. But it's really kind of uh, uh, messing up with the, the mind of the, the the audience and how they see things. And there's so much going on that you can't really tell, you know, what is digital, what is real, what is, you know, uh, uh, a real effects we've done on set, what is a CG effects that we've done later, all that stuff. So it, it it's really trying to just keep that constant, constant changes and flow of the scenes to to uh, keep that uh, uh, illusion going for two minutes on this yeah. one. One of the things that's interesting about visual effects is that it's it's a marriage of art and, and technology at the same time. So, uh, uh, for instance, there's a uh, part of the scene where Drax jumps up in the air, lands on a crustacean, crushes him, slides along the ground on the body of the crustacean, pulls out a dagger and, you know, uh, uses it to stick a guy to a wall. Um, that's actually like four different shots just for that one little part of the vignette. Um, all done by, you know, at, at times done by a stunt performer, at times done by Dave Bautista himself. Um, and we have to sort of stitch it all together. And from an artistic standpoint, you're trying to make sure that the action flows in a beautiful way that you don't ever get fatigue of trying to keep up with the moment. You, 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 but you're also heightening the excitement of the moment. But from a technical standpoint, there's all this, this stuff that has to happen behind the scenes to put all these pieces together. And the two kind of come together, but they also collide in that the technology has to be totally invisible or, you know, to Steph's point, 
you you start watching the technology instead of the the emotion, and then then we failed. So it's yeah. it's this this sort of dance of trying to make sure that all these components come together. I think you nailed it. It was. I, thank you so much. Zero fans, that was our spotlight interview with the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 VFX staff. Jamie Drack, did you have fun? I did. Thanks to everyone who watched and or listened. A six-person interview. That's that's a new one for me. That was pretty cool. I, I have a very large respect for one Brandon Davis and trying to corral everything, but I think we did a good job. If you like this spotlight interview, you can get it at all the different podcast platforms where podcasts are available. If you'd like to listen to Tom Hiddleston's velvety voice, do a spotlight interview with Brandon Davis. That's up on the comicbook.com channel and phase zero YouTube channel. And if you want to listen to Iman Balani talk to Jenna and BB, that's on the phase zero channel too. So we got all kinds of spotlight interviews for you guys here. We'll catch you guys next week right here on Phase Zero. Bye.